Uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles or uh, a, a Bible app that you have, uh, or it's in the bulletin as well, we're, um, we're going through a, a sermon series, and the, the text this morning is from 1 Kings 19, verses 9 through 19. Adam is going to read for us. First Kings 19, 9 through 19. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Haziel. And Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much, Adam. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, in season and out of season, in our world, in our country, in every country of this world, you are king. You are a king who has come and who is coming again. So I pray that you would be bringing um, this morning your spirit, bringing a sense of anticipation of how you come to us. What can we look for? How can we understand you? How can we hear from you? Uh, How how can we look for you to meet with us um, in this Christmas season, but uh, in a more daily and ongoing way as well? In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so thank you again to uh, Pastor Fernando. It was just, uh, I mean, it's such an encouragement. So, so cool to see the, the video and the visuals as well, to, to feel uh, taken there, you know, with you guys. And, and we are, as a church, uh, I just know so, so grateful for just feeling in a, in a very small way part of 
uh, part of this ministry, connected with, with your ministry um, to the people there and what God is doing in his church. I'm just seeing, seeing the global church uh, that we're just this very small part of it. It's, it's always so encouraging to me. Um, also, I, I didn't want to neglect as well. I think this was maybe I missed like a week ago. We had uh, the Beals, Nathan and Laura Beal, just gave birth to uh, a daughter, Elizabeth Constance. Can you shoot up your hand, the, the Beals? We just got Nathan. So let's give them a round of applause. Uh, congratulate them uh, as you get a chance. So healthy baby girl, and we're very excited for you guys. Uh, we're in a series of this Advent, and it's been on uh, how God shows up, how God shows himself, these various theophanies right, of how God appears to his people, and right? it's building up towards, obviously, Jesus, uh, the, the clearest way that God shows himself. And, and part of what I hope that we have seen and you're gathering through this series is that Although with the incarnation, clearly there is something that is totally unique. There's something that's totally uh, unrepeatable and, uh, and uh, in its own category, right? With Jesus taking on flesh, God becoming, taking on our humanity, totally unique, unrepeatable. And yet, it's also in this line of continuity, it's, it's a, a, another expression of the same sort of thing that God has been doing all along. It's not something that's totally different. It's not something that's, that's brand new, but rather it is a fuller expression of the same God. Right? In these same kinds of ways that he has been revealing himself from the very beginning of, of creation. And so that's what we're seeing as we move through this. And, and since we're jumping around uh, in some various scripture texts. We're jumping forward here to Elijah. It's valuable, I think, to set each one of its, these texts in its context. All right, so here, the passage you just had read for you, we have Elijah. So Elijah is uh, one of, if not the most famous prophet of God. And, and he has come to a point in his ministry, in this particular moment at least, where um, he is very discouraged. Uh, he he's very he's very tired um, and and worn down. In a word, he is exhausted. Uh, he is exhausted mentally. He is exhausted physically. He is exhausted spiritually. And you know what happens here with Elijah it, in the course of this passage? It's a little bit like uh, and you have a dream. And you, uh, you, you wake up, I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you, you wake up and you are actually tired from your dream. Right? There, there's something going on in your dream, it's some, some bad scenario that you are in, right? some kind of uh, nightmare, there's some bad guy coming after you, or, or you're trying to avoid, or, or some terrible situation, some jam that you're stuck in. And your mind is, is just racing, it's just working frantically to get you out of this, this terrible situation. And if you're fortunate, you wake up right, long enough to realize, I'm actually asleep. <laughs> that that uh, I'm actually tired from my sleep. Right? And so, so you, you are able to kind of collect yourself and your thoughts. You say, okay, it's all right, none of that's real, none of that's actually going on, I'm okay I'm safe, I can go back to sleep, do what I'm supposed to be doing in my sleep, which is rest. Right? And, and this is a little bit of an analogy for what is happening here with 
Elijah, the lesson that, that God has for Elijah and for us in this interaction. Which he's telling us, metaphorically, it's okay. You can go back to sleep. You can rest. I, I've got this. And so that's really the main point for us, for Elijah, right? Is that when you are exhausted, which I suppose is at least conceivable, some of you might, might feel a little tired at this time of year, right? Uh, when you are exhausted, remember that God is at the wheel. That, that's really the lesson for Elijah. That is the lesson for us. And so what I want to do is I, I want to look at these particular circumstances that Elijah is in that, that warrant this, that make him need this word of encouragement and refreshment from the Lord. And, and then we're going to look at what or, or how God shows up. Right? What is the way in which God is revealing himself? And, and that we can look for those ways that he reveals to us. And then lastly, we're going to see what does God actually say? What does God say to Elijah, to us, when, when you're in this sort of circumstance? So first of all, looking at the, the particular circumstances Elijah is in that brought him this need for a, a word of refreshment from God. Right? And, and that's really what God is doing here. Elijah is he, he's just burnt out. Uh, his, his tank is empty. He's running at zero. Uh, he's just, he's spent. And God shows up. He meets him. He sustains him. He, he brings him along. He carries him along. And, and he encourages him. And then he, he sends him back out. And I want to narrow in on the, the particular circumstances Right, that, that Elijah is in, some of the, the details of this, so that we can connect this with the details of our lives. And I think that's valuable because God shows up in a lot of different ways, right, to a lot of different people in, in different circumstances. And so I mean, one of the things we want to be careful to do is never to put God in a box, right? never to expect a relationship with God to function as anything except a relationship, right? which is to say you can't predict it. <laughs> you, you can't uh, mechanically construct, if this happens, God's going to do this. It, it's a relationship. Right? So God is going to use different ways of moving and speaking and guiding you through His Spirit. But there are principles. Right? There, there are principles we can take away and, and we, can, we can become more sensitive to these things. And one of those uh, that's, that work here... This is actually from James chapter 4, verse 8. It says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's a promise. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And, you know, one of uh, the reasons why this tends to happen, right, tends to happen that um, we, we, have, we have these closer experiences Right, closer connections with God when we are in these times of, of desperation right, and exhaustion is that we get to a point for us that you become willing, you become frankly desperate enough to actually draw near to God. Right? And, and He's going to meet that. Right? He's going to show up. He's going to respond on His end. 
And, and sadly, what is often the case is God has to bring us to these places. Or we just we get to the end of ourselves. We get to the end of our strength and our resources. And you are totally exhausted before you finally stop. And you look up and you think, oh yeah, God. <laughs> uh, God's there. Now maybe, maybe God has something to do with this. Maybe God would have something to say to me. And, and sometimes it takes a lot of times getting to that place. And for Elijah, this experience for him is complicated by the fact, as it is sometimes for us as well, uh, it's complicated by the fact that the reason why Elijah is exhausted is in his mind, because largely because he's been trying to be faithful to God. He's trying to serve God and, and do what God has asked him to do, and he keeps just getting kicked in the teeth for it. So, you know, my guess is that Elijah, in this, at this place, he, he is feeling the kind of underlying push-pull that, that we all tend to feel in these types of circumstances, right? where uh, Elijah is tired out, right? and he wants to run to God, he wants to go to God, but at the same time, he also wants to run away from God. Right? He wants to bring his, pain, his pains and his hurts, his trouble to God, but he's also frustrated at God. Right? He's mad at God because he feels like, God, I'm just, I'm just trying to serve you. I'm, just, I'm trying to love you. I'm trying to, to do what you ask. I'm trying to be faithful and, and love these other people, and, and this is what I'm getting from you because of that. My question is less, you know, have you ever felt that way? I know you have. I mean, that, that experience, I mean, whether you're a Christian or not, that, that is an experience where, where you feel like you're trying to do what's right and, you're, and, and what's good and not getting anything for it. But my question is more, how many of you feel that way right now? Are you feel frustrated? You feel burnt out? trying to do the right things. Right? And, and not only does it feel like you're, you're not being appreciated for those efforts, you're actually being attacked because of that. And, and so, not if you feel that, when you feel that way, or take comfort from Elijah. Uh, Elijah has literally come from a mountaintop, literally a mountaintop spiritual experience. Right before this, 1 Kings 18, he's on this mountaintop, and boy, God, God comes through, and, and he is serving God. Right? There, there's this conflict with the prophets of Baal, God shows up, this, this fire just consumes all of this altar, uh, there's this years-long drought that God ends in this dramatic way, and, and throughout this, Elijah is kind of standing as the sole defense, he's the sole uh, representative of truth and, and, and speaking for God. And then as a result of all of that, right, right on the heels of that experience, now he has, to, he has to flee for his life. He is running for his life into the desert because Jezebel, the, the king's wife, has just sworn, I'm going to kill you. And more than Elijah, right, we can take comfort from Jesus. In these situations. 
I mean, you want to talk about somebody who only did what was right and, and got trouble for that. Right? I mean, Jesus only interacted in love and grace, healing people, working miracles, sacrificially giving, loving everyone around him. Right? And what did he get? Death for us. And, and I, I say that uh, to combat one of the biggest lies that tends to creep in in these experiences. When, when you're in these places, and you can hear this showing up in, in the way that Elijah is responding here. If you look at um, these responses to God, there's two times that God asks Elijah, he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Right? And Elijah answers in the same way both times. And, and we can hear there kind of some echoes of, of God's question to Adam in the garden, like, where are you, Adam? It's not like God doesn't know where he is or, or what, what's happening. It's this way of drawing Elijah in, right? getting him to reflect, to, to interact with God, think about what's, what has happened, what has just gone on, and where is God? What, what do you know about God, Elijah, in, in the circumstances here? And Elijah, in his response both times, pay very close attention to this, both times he, he, he responds to God, and he says, I've been very jealous for the Lord, and look, the people of Israel, they have totally forsaken you. They've done all of these things. And at the very end, he says, I, even I only, am left. And they seek to take my life. All right, that's a feeling, right? I'm the only one. I'm the only one left. This whole country... Now, this whole place, this whole world is going to the dogs. I'm, I'm one of the only faithful. And the challenge is a lot of times when you, you feel that, certainly it's the case for Elijah, there is some truth to that. But the problem with that feeling is that at the root of it is self-pity. It's self-pity. At the bottom of that. And the danger of self-pity. Self-pity is this emotion that feeds off of feeling bad in order to feel good. That's what it does. You feed off of, you feel good by feeling bad. <laughs> look at how alone I am. Look at, look at how deserted I am. I, I'm, I'm the only one. Nobody cares. No one knows the trouble I've seen. Right, and the challenge is, right, the, the falsehood of that is what God says, right? God hasn't left us alone. He hasn't. And in fact, in your difficulties, in your challenges, there's actually a closer intimacy with Jesus in those times, a closer identification. And God promises He's always going to leave a faithful remnant, a faithful community, always. So uh, let me go to now, how does God meet us? Right, what can we learn from the ways that God meets Elijah here right, to, to how he will meet us? Right, when we are in these places of uh, exhaustion and isolation, how does, how does God meet us in those places? Well, first, uh, God just he has Elijah travel to Mount Horeb. This is another name for Mount Sinai. This is where God 
met Moses 500 years ago. And as, as he meets with Elijah, as God meets with Elijah here, he's so gentle. He's just so compassionate. He's so tender. It's kind of like the, the interaction he has is kind of like if you're a parent right, and you have a son or a daughter who, who's having a little bit of a meltdown. <laughs> they're, they're just kind of throwing a fit. right? But, but you as a parent, you know the son, the daughter, they're, they're really just tired. They're just tired. And, and mostly he or she's been doing a good job. Right? That's, that's the sort of tone of this interaction. Right? And it's important for us to learn from that that God, God is really patient with us when we don't respond to difficulties as maturely as we ought to. He's very patient. And, and we should have that same patience with others. So uh, there's these 40 days, 40 nights that the God has Elijah traveling right, to get to this mountain. Elijah is, is reenacting this journey that Israel went on. Many of the patriarchs went on. Jesus is going to go on. Right, where God draws his people into the wilderness. He, he draws them into this barren place Cut away all the noise. Cut out all the distractions and and just focus on him. Focus on on their relationship with him. And and God speaks to Elijah and he says, stay here, wait, wait, wait for me to show up, wait for me to come. And then Elijah sees what happens. Elijah sees God's presence come through in, in three different multiple displays of power. Okay, so first there's this, this great and strong wind, that's, that's what the Bible says, right? It's like, you think of like a hurricane force gale, right? This is like ripping the rocks off of this mountain. So like, think about like a tornado wind that just, you know, picks up cars or, or pops roofs off and it's just, it's just tossing them. There's just powerful wind, right? And then after that, there's this earthquake, massive earthquake. The whole mountain, the whole earth is shaking, after that, there is this, this intense inferno blaze that comes by, or you just wipe out you know, a forest with this, this intense blaze. But then it says God wasn't in any of them. He wasn't in them. But he, he comes then in this whisper. And it says here it's a low whisper. And the term itself is a little bit strange. I mean, how, how can you have a low whisper? Is, is there a high whisper? Is there a loud whisper? It's a whisper, right? Well, a part of the difficulty is that the Hebrew phrase itself, and the, the literal translation is, would be a, uh, a soft whisper. Uh, and so whatever it is, right, we have two words being used to describe just how, how gentle and, and low and soft this, this voice is. And that it's a voice. So, uh, take a step back here. About what is going on? Why does God do this? Why does He choose to show up in this way? What was the point of these three violent displays of power? 
right, to come before this. Well, to uh, quote uh, one of my favorite pastors, Alistair Begg, you're intelligent people. You think through it yourselves. <laughs> what would you conclude? What would you conclude if God were to show up to you in this way? He says, not this, not this, not that, a whisper. Clearly, there is a contrast, yes? There is a pointed contrast that God is trying to draw Elijah's attention to. There is this, this still, small voice. And clearly, there can be no doubt in Elijah's mind that God is a God of power. In case he just forgot what happened one chapter earlier with the prophets of Baal and the fire and and all that kind of stuff, here it is again. God is power. This is the almighty God who created the entire universe. And we get these stunning like little glimpses of his power ourselves. Things like hurricanes, volcanoes, right? Just this little glimpse of the outskirts of the power of this God who, who made the universe. But do you ever think about what a blessing it is that that's not the way God shows himself primarily? He doesn't, he doesn't use those ways. That isn't the most direct, important, essential way that God shows himself, but he reveals himself in words, in, in human speech. Just things that you can read and, and speak and, and think about and memorize and turn over and internalize. And, and along with that, he comes to us in a person. We have in Scripture preserved that the person of Jesus, we can see who he was and and what he did for us. So here we have this God of infinite and immense power who chooses to come to us in the gentle whisper of the Bible. His words in Scripture of the promptings of his Holy Spirit are just, just nudges. It just, just directs you and whispers in certain ways if we're quiet enough to actually listen to what does God have to say. And you know, just a, a couple applications in this before we move on. Right? And, and the first one, I think, is how do we view Scripture? How do we think about the Bible? Now, I think most of us, if we're honest, most of us get pretty bored pretty quickly reading the Bible, right? And that, can, that can be true for me as well, right? Because it's just, it's just a book, right? This isn't some, you know, extraordinary event or, you know, out-of-body vision, or it's not even a movie with, like, cool displays and soundtrack, right? It's just words on a page. Reading the Bible can feel so prosaic, Right, so ordinary. And because we feel that, right, we miss a lot of times what God actually has to say to us. Right, because we're not taking seriously the, the gentle whisper of how he, he's, he's chosen to make himself known. The second application for us, I think very important, right, is how do we show Jesus? 
How, how do we display, right? If we're called to be ambassadors. We're called to be representatives of Jesus as Christians. Who is this Jesus that we show to other people? Is he a God of power? Right? Terrifying, incredible power, right? Of, of wind and fire and earthquakes? Yeah, of course he is. But how does God choose to reveal himself? Right, it's, it's through a gentle whisper. It's through ordinary, gentle, loving words. Meekness and persuasion and truth. Jesus came riding on a donkey. Jesus is born in a stable, surrounded by livestock. He comes in a low whisper. Jesus says that the meek will inherit the earth. The meek. Not the political leaders will inherit the earth. Not the cultural movers and shakers. Not the A-list celebrities or the artists or the entertainers or, or the business moguls. The meek. And that's not saying that you can't be a meek Christian artist and entertainer or business mogul or political leader. But we've got to get the order right. We've got to get we've got to get the priority down in our mind that the way God shows up, the way God works Change the way God works miraculously to transform lives, to transform society, to transform our world is, is not through earthquakes and trumpet blasts. It's not through political proclamations or viral media influencers. It is through the gentle whisper of Jesus and his salvation for sinners. It is the low, gentle whisper of, of his words in Scripture and the simple, ordinary power of a supernatural word. And you think about it, this is really the gospel message itself. Right? That the way you get Jesus, the way that we get salvation, is through being weak, being needy. Reaching for something that you don't have. And I hope that you're tracking with me here. Right? Because we have in the Christian worldview, we have this very, I'd say, pretty cool advantage over the rest of the world in that weakness and strength are not contradictory ideas in the Christian worldview. Right? These things are mixed together. They're woven together. But... There is a priority for us as fallen sinners. There, there is a logical order. Right? And meaning, um, you, don't, you don't grab for and achieve and, and seize onto some position of power and say, all right, great. Now I can show how weak I am. You start with weakness. You lead with dependency. And that's how you show Jesus. I'm not talking about um, inefficiency or incompetence, but I'm saying I'm talking about dependency, 
dependency on Jesus. That is how we show Jesus to the world. But we move on to our last point. That's what does God say? What does he actually say to Elijah? And what are the kinds of things that he says to us? Right? And we come to him and we're, we're discouraged, right? we're worn out, you're exhausted. Well, really, in essence, the main point that God is trying to say is, I've got this. I've got this. That, that's what God is trying to say. You, you know, and it's interesting, you read through verses 15 to 18 here of, of, uh, of God's response to Elijah. At first, in context, you can feel like, is God even listening to, to what Elijah just said? Or it can feel like, you know, like you're, uh, you're trying to have a conversation with somebody while they're scrolling on their phone, right? And so it's like, you know, uh, boy, Uncle Al just got, just got taken to the hospital. He got the thing in the ER last night. I think we, we should probably go visit him tomorrow, do you think? Like, yeah, that's, that's something. <laughs> that's, that's kind of what it feels like. Right? Elijah is just discouraged. He's distraught over what's been happening with, with Israel and, and the future of their Israel's soul, and that he's the only one left. And God responds. He says, Okay, okay. Now, here's what I want you to do uh, go out and uh, anoint these three people. Uh, you got Haziel and, and this king of Syria, next king of Israel, and, and the prophet who's going to replace you. It's like, were you even listening? What, how, is that, how is that an encouragement? How is that, how is that supposed to be helping and building me up? And, and this, this is a really important message for us from God because he, he is offering perspective. He is offering encouragement in the way that he responds. This is what I want to close with. But God, he mentions these, these three people that Elijah is supposed to anoint. And he actually starts with the one that is farthest away, intentionally, this, this king of Syria. In fact, Syria is actually Israel's biggest threat. That's their big enemy. They're the ones that are going to come in and they're going to harass and, and they're eventually going to take over Israel. And, and that's where God starts. And then, in fact, of these three people that God mentions, the only one Elijah is actually going to see Succession that he's going to see is Elisha, the prophet who, who comes after him. And so God is saying something, though, as, as Elijah reflects on these words later, as we can reflect on them now, there is a clear message that God is saying by responding in the way that he does here to Elijah's concerns. Right? And he's saying, basically, I'm not asleep, Elijah. I, I haven't just missed a beat. Here. I haven't just kind of snoozed off, and, and I, I, boy, I wasn't aware of what's happening. I, I'm just as much in control. I'm just as much in power as ever. Right? And, and so, yes, of course, I, I care about my name, and I care about defending my cause in Israel. Right? But, but I actually care, Elijah, about things that don't even occur to you to care about. Right? That's how much control I have. Right? And, and so part of what God is, is saying here to us, to Elijah, is you know, when you feel in these sort of situations, it's, God is saying, yes, that, that issue that you care about, that issue you're concerned about, you feel like I'm not paying attention, I'm not 
involved. Yes, I care about that. And, and I care so much that I care about things that don't even occur to you to care about. I'm, I'm involved in those things intimately. So don't worry. I've got this. I'm, I'm in control of every leader who steps into every position of power at every point. Not just Israel. And verse 17, God makes it clear to Elijah that, that he is doing something. He's in the process of judging the world through these human instruments. They are serving a cause. And, and so that's why he names these particular people, and he ends with Elijah and Elisha. Right? And his point there being the greatest judgment, right, besides the, these human political judgments, the greatest judgment is going to be people who don't receive my word, don't receive my salvation. That's, that's the most severe judgment. And then God throws in almost like an afterthought. Right? Verse 18, he says, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. by the way, uh, I've kept 7,000 people who haven't bowed to Baal. So, you know, that, that line about you being the only one, you can just let that go. You know, there's one last thing I think to take away here from God's response to Elijah. I think it's so valuable so valuable to us when we get to these places of discouragement. Right? He, he says in his response to Elijah, he, he's giving Elijah a task. He, he gives him a task and he sends him out and basically says, do the next thing. Right? This is so practical. It's so important to us. Right? You're, you're feeling frustrated, discouraged, tired out. God doesn't care. It's not worth it. Right? And, and part of God's response in that is do the next thing. Do what's in front of you. Do what God is calling you to do and know that God is at the wheel. He's got this. He's, he's got this. It's going to be okay. Let's pray. Lord, it is so easy to become discouraged uh, for, for any number of reasons. Right? Look at, we look at the world, we look at our lives, uh, we look at what we thought our lives were going to be, look at circumstances beyond our control. It's just so easy to feel discouraged and to feel on top of that that you don't care, that you don't see. I pray that you would help us to know that we're not alone, that you are with us in these things, and to know that you are at the wheel, that none of these things are happening because you don't care or because these things escape your notice. But you are in control and you are good and you are so much bigger and in so much more control than we can imagine. And so I pray that we would find comfort in that and we'd be able to do whatever it is you're calling us to do, whatever's in front of us today, tomorrow, and this week, and, and just knowing that we can leave the rest of the things with you. In Jesus' name, amen.